0: While you are finding this passage in your Bible or in your bulletin insert, we will use it as a unison reading in just a moment or two. Uh, we'll just sort of set the stage. You know, you re- you need to remember that uh, the prophet Jeremiah was ministering uh, during a very volatile period in the history of the nation of Israel. Israel, you know, had... Uh, had divided into two different kingdoms, what we call the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, The northern kingdom was obliterated no more. The southern kingdom was overrun by Babylon, and most of the Jews were taken into exile in that land of Babylon, and that's the people to whom Jeremiah was ministering. So keep that in mind as we read our passage will begin to read at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future. And I hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I don't know how much Russian history you know, but back in the 1930s when Adolf Hitler was really getting cranked up in Germany, Russia had their own evil leader to worry about, a man by the name of Joseph Stalin. And among many of his atrocities that he ordered, he he ordered a purge of all the Bibles and all the Christian believers. Now as you can imagine, those orders were carried out in varying degrees of success over that huge empire. But one place his words were given great weight was in the city of Stavropa where thousands of Bibles were confiscated and many believers were sent to prison camps where most died as, quote, enemies of the state. Some years back, a mission agency known as Co-Mission sent a team to that city not knowing all of the specifics about its history of persecution. And when the team was having trouble getting Bibles shipped from Moscow, a local mentioned to them the existence supposedly of a warehouse just full of Bibles going all the way back to Stalin's day and time. After much prayer, they went to this site and inquired if the Bibles were still there. And when told they were, they asked if they might have them for distribution to the people in the area. And you can imagine their delight when the answer they heard was yes. So the next day, the mission team returned with a truck, you know, strike while the iron's hot. That's exactly what I would have done. They returned with a truck. They picked up workers on the way, people just looking to earn some money to go and load all of these Bibles into this truck and make several trips if need be. One of those helpers was a young man, a skeptical, hostile, agnostic collegian who had come only for the day's wages. He didn't care a thing about what the mission was trying to accomplish. And as they were loading the Bibles, all of a sudden they noticed this this young man was nowhere to be seen. And some from the mission team began to look around and finally they found him in the corner of the warehouse weeping. He had slipped away hoping to take a Bible for himself, but what he had found overwhelmed him because the inside page of the Bible that he just happened to pick up had a handwritten signature of his own grandmother's name. Out of the thousands of Bibles still left in that warehouse, he just happened to pick up the one that had belonged to his own grandmother, a woman who had been persecuted for her faith. It's no wonder he was weeping because all of a sudden God was real in his life and chose to make himself known in such an overwhelming personal way to this young man. You see, that particular Bible was God's own message in action. He has His message for each of us. And we hear that message in all kinds of different ways. But in this particular young man's life, he heard that message, a message that's echoed. In our text this morning, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not evil. To give you a future and a hope. I just wonder, is this the kind of sovereign God that you know and worship? Or is this kind of personal God who's sovereign even in the affairs of what book you pick up, does that describe a far different God from what you've experienced in your life? When I originally chose this text several months ago, I worked on a preaching plan for months at a time, and my initial thought was that we would talk about hope because of that very famous part of this passage. But all of these verses we just read really have to do with our relationship with God, with, with seeking Him and finding Him with knowing God and our our loyalty to Him, our faithfulness to Him as He is faithful to us. And if we really think about it, in all of this, the same principles are operative over and over again. And so as we reflect on this passage, we come to see that to seek and find God... To pray to Him, as God indicates here through the prophet Jeremiah, all of that takes faith. It takes focus. And it takes follow through. That's what it means to have a real relationship with God in our Christian lives. We need faith, we need focus, and we need follow through. And we can see the need for faith in the opening lines of our passage where Jeremiah writes, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years for Babylon are completed, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you. Now granted, in the original context, these are words to the people of the southern kingdom, those exiles in Babylon. God is coming to them and saying, even though you can't see it, I have a plan for you. And I believe that we can superimpose this passage on our own lives because surely if God sent His own Son into the world, Jesus, to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for your sins and my sins, He has a plan for us as well. You see, these people of the southern kingdom were called upon to have faith. To have the faith to believe that God had not forgotten them. Even though they were captive. Even though they were slaves in Babylon. His plans were to give them a a new beginning. To remind them of their purpose. to, To transform them into new people. But they had to believe that because they could see none of it. In fact, most of them would be dead 70 years later when God brought His promises to fruition. And that really takes faith to believe something You can never, in which you can never participate. But that's what they did. But even though they were in a difficult time and place, they shouldn't despair because they had God's care. They knew that care through this prophet sent straight from God to tell them these wonderful words of hope. They had the privilege of prayer. And they had God's grace at work in their lives. And of course, we don't have to be learned theologians here this morning to see that we have the exact same things going for us in our own Christian lives except so much better because of the gift of Jesus, because of the power and presence of His Holy Spirit. Just like the exiles when we go through devastating times, when when we endure slavery to whatever it is and experience the loss of what's meaningful and joyful in our lives, it may seem that God has forgotten us. But it could be preparation. It may be that He's preparing you as He did the people of Judah for a, a a new beginning. With him at the center. Because, much like the southern kingdom, even though we've turned away from God at certain times in our lives, God returns to us. That's the good news that Scripture reminds us over and over again. When we're that prodigal and we've done everything we can to harm God and the work of His kingdom, He's ready to run back out there and meet us. God is never finished with you and me in this world. We have to remember that process of sanctification is ongoing. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We sing those words at Bon Clarkin. But he's not going to complete it in this world. He's going to complete it at that last day when Jesus returns. So God always comes and works In our lives, and the reality of our lives, therefore, cannot be defined simply by the context in which we find ourselves, whether that happens to be disease, whether it happens to be loss, whether it happens to be grief, sorrow, or anything else, because that's only temporary. And one of the reasons that's true is because regardless of situations or circumstances, regardless of frustrations or sorrows, any and everything, God can be sought and found when we seek Him wholeheartedly and with faith. That's why faith is so important. That's why faith is such a focus For the Christian life, because the writer of Hebrews tells us in his 11th chapter, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Whoever would draw near to God must have faith. That's why it's so important. But faith is not the only factor involved. We also have to remain focused throughout the entire process, focused all through our lives of faith. We have to focus on the important, the essential. We have to focus on God and on His Word and His will. And as we concentrate on Him, then we begin to prioritize our lives, the things that we do and the things that we say according to His plan. According to those plans, He says that He has for us. Notice here that God says, You will call upon Me and come and pray to Me. That's what Jesus did. And that's why He changed the world. And you know, we continue to see people like that. All through Christian history, people who've given their lives over to Jesus Christ... Simple men and women in their own right and they do tremendous things for the kingdom of God. And we see that even in the modern day as well. You may know the story of the conversion of Malcolm Muggeridge. Late in his life, this famous British atheist was found by the Lord. When he was asked to explain his salvation, Muggeridge said he was able to resist the books that he had read. He was able to resist the sermons that he had heard preached, but when he saw with his own eyes Mother Teresa in Calcutta with the poorest of the poor, he said, if, if this is it, I've got to have it. If this is what Christianity is all about, it's for me. And if there was a focused Christian at work in a 20th century church, surely it was Mother Teresa, that saint that went back and forth between prayer and service. Prayer and service focused on doing God's will for her life. Taking in and giving back out. Focused on the essentials of a relationship with God. Surely her life and example fulfilled the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when He says to each of us, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do those words describe your life? Are you focused on God and His will? Or does the world around you not have one scrap of evidence to convict you of being a servant of the Lord Jesus? You'll remember it was Gandhi who said... I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Just think if he had met someone like Mother Teresa, that might have been what it took for him to follow the Lord Jesus. If our lives are filled with faith and focus on God and His will, then they'll reflect the light that lives within us. The light of the world, Lord Jesus. But faith and focus are so much more beneficial with follow-through, or what you might call perseverance. Practically every sport I can think of requires follow-through to be good at it. If you're going to throw a baseball or a football, you've got to follow through. If you're going to swing a bat or a golf club, you've got to follow through. Then, then I still won't be good, not at golf. You know, if you're going to roll a bowling ball, if you're going to shoot a billiard shot, whatever you've got to do, you need to follow through. You need to finish what you've started and keep at it as long and as far as possible. If we want to be fulfilled people of God, if we really want to know Him and walk with Him and experience those blessings of joy and grace, His presence, the peace that He has to offer, we have to persist. It seems to me in asking for those every day. One of the most important prayers you can, You can pray each day and that I can pray, and I've said this before and I'll continue to say it, is to pray for the power of God's Holy Spirit to be at work in my life this day to accomplish what God has given me to do. That's a prayer we need to make every single day. Jesus says we're to seek and ask and knock. We have to feel this spiritual hunger we have and thirst after righteousness and then we'll be filled. You know, everybody hungers for something. That's how God has made us. We hunger after Him, but we don't always know what we're hungry for. Did you read yesterday, Charlotte Observer, that article about the atheist mega-churches that are starting to meet? in places around the world? I mean, people come together just like it's a religion. They come together and they hear someone make a speech. And they sing, I'm guessing. It looked like they were singing in the picture in the paper. They say that they're bound by their belief in non-belief. Those people are coming together in crowds as large as four and five hundred because they're searching for something. They're hungering for something. We know what they need to find. But we hunger in the same way. And that doesn't mean that once we're filled, we never hunger or thirst again. Every day is new and we need God's presence and His power each and every day. We go on hungering. And thirsting. As Paul put it in Philippians three, we leave those things of our past lives behind. And what do we do? We we press on toward the mark. We push on toward the finish line. We seek to grow up into Christ. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. I follow after it. This following after, it seems to me, is part of what it means to search with all of our hearts after God, as Jeremiah encourages us to do in this passage. It means that we live as close to God as possible by seeking to follow Jesus Christ and responding to His call upon our lives. We spoke of Mother Teresa a few minutes earlier. That's what she did in her life. She responded to God's call. She left home at age 18 to become a nun, a full-time servant of the Lord Jesus. And those that met her while she was alive always commented about her warm smile. She used to say, let us always meet each other with a smile, for the smile is the beginning of love. You would think after working for more than four decades with some of the most forsaken people on earth, that her smile would have retreated. But it never did. She once gave an interesting answer as to why that smile was always present, an answer in addition to what she believed about love. She said, when I was leaving home, my mother told me something beautiful and very strange. She said, you go put your hand in Jesus' hand, and walk along with Him. And that's the secret of Mother Teresa's life. Except it's not a secret, is it? The Scriptures make it clear over and over again that if we want to find God, if we want to know God, if we want to stay with Him, if we want to remain faithful and persevere to the very end, that we do something as simple and yet profound as putting our hands into the hand of Jesus and walking along with Him. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. I think it was Tommy Dorsey that wrote those words. Even someone like him was hungering through that lifestyle he had experienced. He knew what he needed to do. He needed to put his hand... Into the hands of Jesus. That's why we run the race with perseverance. Always looking to whom? To Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Him not just for our example, but looking to Him for our guidance, for our wisdom, for our power to live each day. John puts it this way in his first letter. By this we may be sure that we are in Him. He who says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. For the world passes away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That's what Jesus did. He did the will of God. And He calls you and me to come alongside. And live the same way to God's honor and glory. May he bless us to that end in the days to come. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.